In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every other Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. episode of A Psychic Story, Ellen Malloy shares how her seemingly ordinary life exploded when the dead began to communicate with her from the other side after experiencing a health situation. In addition to her journey with Reiki, she learned how to gain the assistance of angels who still support her to this day. Her experiences are a true testament of how a quote-unquote ordinary person merges with the spiritual world. How she turned it into a positive experience to help others is awe-inspiring. Ellen also tells me how many of the six to eight psychic senses I possess. Which one or ones do you think I have? In this episode, we will be hearing from Ellen Malloy. Ellen came into her intuitive gifts through a personal tragedy and was able to turn it around in a way to help others. She conducts workshops and has clients around the world. Ellen's insight has such wisdom and empathy that you can feel it comes from a higher place. I'm so happy to have her join A Psychic Story to talk about psychic development and angel communication. Thank you, Ellen, for being here today. Oh, thank you, Nicole. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So why don't you take us back and lead us to your awakening, so to speak? When I look back on my life, I, I realized I was always psychic. Um, and so were members of my family, but we never used those terms. We never used any metaphysical terms. So my father would have dreams of things that would come true. We never called those premonitions. That was just sort of something that he did. Um, it didn't happen often. It wasn't like weekly or daily or even yearly, but it just happened. I also had similar things that would occur. Sort of to give you an example, I was in college and I dreamed that one of our neighbors passed away and I called. I said, I dreamed Ms. Morardi passed away and he said she did. She had passed away yesterday. And so it was things like that that would happen. Um, there were just other sorts of things. Nothing that I would say was, you know, dramatic, but just, you know, knowings and understandings and sort of communications and intuition. And as I got older, the way I interpreted those things was more as sort of intelligence. I, when I, even though I picked up on all kinds of psychic things, I just thought it was because I was reading situations really well or that I just picked up on subtleties that other people didn't notice. I have a degree in fine art, so I kind of have an attention to detail. And when I got into my corporate career, I ended up sort of falling into IT project management. I started out with marketing and then I landed in that. And so there were times when 
it was there was obviously something psychic going on, but I never thought of it that way, nor did I think most other people around me. Um, to use an example, early in my career, I just joined this technical team, and I worked at a big bank, um, and all of a sudden, the banking systems went down. And nobody knew why. Um, I was new on the team, so I was no help to anyone. And so hours are going by. People are frantically running around. There's hundreds of customer service agents who are just sitting doing nothing because the call system, you know, the bank systems are down. And so finally, after hours and hours and hours, my boss comes to me and says, no one can figure out what's going on. I'm going to tell you. And I remember thinking, well, gosh, okay. Um, I'm new. I don't know, you know, I didn't know what I could possibly do to help him, but I thought, well, the only thing I can really do is listen and be empathetic and I can offer that, you know? So he starts telling me about what's going on. I don't, I can't follow any of it because I don't really know the systems or the terminology he's using, but I understood enough that I could make some sense out of it. And then finally I just crop up and said, it's two problems. And he said, oh, and I said, split the team into two. Team A does this. Team B does that. And so we did it. And then um, at the end of the day, when finally the systems were all up and everybody's getting ready to go home, he came to me and said, how did you know? And I said, how did I know what? He goes, how did you know it was two problems? I had no idea how I knew. And there were all kinds of many, many things like that that I did along the way in my career. And occasionally, and really more people would occasionally notice it more than I would notice it because I had just always done it. Things kind of went along that way for, for a long time. And I, you know, I had a, I was a IT project manager, and I was rolling along in my career, and everything was going swimmingly and relatively normal, at least for for me, until my late twenties, and then all of a sudden I started to get sick, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I started having dizzy spells. I started to lose a lot of weight. I got down to a sub zero where doctors would say, "Are you anorexic?" I'm like, "No, I eat. I really I eat." And you know, I started having all kinds of problems, just sort of all, I won't even go into it, but all kinds of health problems. And so I started seeing doctor after doctor after doctor, and they kept diagnosing me with this thing, that thing, this other thing, but nobody could pinpoint why all these things were occurring. And finally, I was dating someone from California, and he said, well, what kind of alternatives are you doing? And I said, alternatives to health care? And he said, yes. And of course, I come from a family where no one I knew did any kind of alternatives. I mean, or like Irish people who, you know, are in, you know, Episcopalians and Catholics, and we don't really do that. We just go to a doctor. So I said, well, what would those things be? And he goes, you know, like acupuncture or chiropractic or, you know, um, maybe medical intuitive, which I had never even heard of such a thing before. And I just thought, I don't know what any of these things are. I mean, chiropractors, I thought people only went there if they had car accidents and their back was messed up. I wouldn't even think to go to a chiropractor for any other reason. Not that I had any clue what they did or knew anybody who'd ever been to one. But so I I thought, okay, I said, well, I I guess, you know, these 25 doctors I've been to hadn't cured me of anything. So I thought, well, all right, I guess I'll try these alternative things. So I started trying different various things and I tried acupuncture and that turned out to be really wonderful. And I ended up trying chiropractic because that turned out to be really wonderful. And I ended up using, uh, working with herbalists and that turned out to be wonderful. And so I had all these really wonderful experiences, but nobody still really diagnosed me until this. I worked with this woman. She was a Korean medical doctor working in the United States as an acupuncturist. And she came up to me at a birthday party and she said, you are gravely ill. And I said, yes, I know. And she said, do you know why? I said, no, I don't. And she said, we do facial diagnoses in 
Korea in Asian countries, which I didn't know that either. And she said, I know what's wrong with you. Come to my office on Monday morning. And so I went to her office and she said, you're allergic. You have food allergies. Really? Food allergies? You got to be kidding me. And I mean, I didn't know much of anything about food allergies. All I knew was kids who ate peanuts and or strawberries and went into anaphylactic shock. Like that was my total sum knowledge of food allergies. So I had no earthly idea that there were milder, let's say, food allergies that really could destroy you from the inside out, from your intestines outward. And so I started learning a little bit more about food allergies after she told me this. And every symptom I had from every one of these many doctors I saw all led back to the same things which were gluten intolerance for me. And so I turned out I had what would be, let's see if would know, it was celiac disease. I had not celiac disease, but I had like what would be one tier below that in terms of genetics. And so I had something that was very close to that. And it was just, it was killing me. It took me about three years to recover for the most part. And then it was even more longer than that to get, you know, almost correct. But anyway, along this journey, um, I met a lot of interesting people, as you can imagine, because I'm trying all these alternative things. And one of the people that I spoke to was actually a friend of my, uh, the guy that I was dating who was from California. He had a friend in California who was an intuitive. Um, I'm not sure that's the exact word she used for herself, but she could look at people and determine their health, and he wanted me to call her. And so I did um, and spoke to her. She was really nice, and she kept emphasizing that I needed to do Reiki. She's like, you need to do Reiki. I'd never heard of Reiki. I had no idea what it was. I thought it was like Tai Chi or a keto or I thought it was probably an exercise. And she said, you have to do this. It's essential that you do this. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll, you know, whatever. I'll go take a Tai Chi class. I'd already taken <laughs> yoga. I thought that was pretty out there for me. So I look, I get home and I look it up on the internet, this Reiki to find a class. And then I discover that it's not a exercise at all. It's it's laying on hands and it's a Japanese version of laying on hands. And I'm thinking, what? I had no idea anybody even laid on hands at all outside of like evangelical churches. So I was just really completely shocked that this is what she was recommending. And, and then I couldn't find any classes because this was a right many years ago. We're talking about 20 years ago. So it was in the United States, but really they were doing it in like Hawaii and, you know, a few sort of really open places like places in California, maybe Arizona. I mean, nobody in Richmond, Virginia was doing this as far as I knew. I just thought, well, <laughs> I don't even know how I would get into such a thing even, <laughs> you know, and I'm just thinking this is so far out there. I don't even know what to, how to wrap my head around it. And so I did the only thing that I knew to do, which was I prayed about it. And I just said, okay, God, look, I don't know about this Ricky thing. Sounds pretty wild to me. I don't know anything about Japanese culture. I don't know anything about laying on hands. I don't know anything about any of this. I said, you know, um, but if this is what you want me to do, God, then you put a Reiki master person in my path and I will never look back. I will just do this. So a few days later, my boyfriend comes home from he had been taking, um, oh, what was he taking? Ju not judo. I don't know, some sort of martial arts. And, and so he comes home and he says, I found your Reiki master. I said, what? I, he was, I guess he didn't know, he didn't know anything about this stuff either, even though he's from California, this is new to him. But he was asking his kung fu, that's what it was, it was kung fu instructor. So he was asking this kung fu instructor guy <laughs> if he knew anything about Reiki. And the guy says, why well, I, I do, as a matter of fact, why do you ask? And then he told him the story of how I was sick and how his friend who was intuitive said I needed to learn this. And he says, well, I happen to be a Reiki master. He goes, I don't advertise it. I don't really talk about it, but I'm a Reiki master. And he says, what? So, so that was the year 
2001. So we ended up taking a Reiki class with them. And it it was lovely. It was amazing, something completely different. I just, you know, so, so different than anything I'd ever been exposed to. But I really, I took to it and I enjoyed it. And um, I had a good experience with it. And so then we're, I'm kind of going along. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm healthier. You know, my a lot of my medical problems are, have gone away. Life, is, things are getting better. And we, my, my boyfriend at the time decided we're going to get, you know, we wanted to get married. He asked me to marry him. So it's 2003, and now things are good. I'm doing my Reiki. I'm uh, still in IT. I'm, you know, I'm not any more psychic than, you know, I was, you know, before. Still not thinking of myself as psychic. And so the, when we get married, this Kung Fu instructor guy offers to give us Reiki level two, which I didn't even know what that was. Well, I find out later Reiki one is sort of to work on yourself, personal development and spiritual connection. Level two is to work on other people, which I would have never, I mean, I'm working IT. I wasn't thinking like I would ever work with anybody. I was planning to tell anyone I even did Reiki or you know, it's just too weird for this area. And isn't level three's long distance, right? It depends on the system, but like level three is distance or level three. In my system, which I teach now, level three is the master teacher level. I teach distance healing in level two. But anyway, that's beside the story. Um, so we go ahead. So about a month after we're married, this um, Reiki master guy gives us our wedding gift, which is this level two thing. And so I don't even look into it. I have no idea what I'm doing before we get there. I go, again, it's lovely. It's wonderful. And I start to realize, oh, he thinks we're going to work on people. And I thought, oh, I'm never working on anybody else. There's I'm not even telling people I do this, more or less actually offering to do this for somebody else. And um, so at the end of the class, he, he does this, or at, I can't even remember actually at what point in the class. At some point in the class, he does what they call a sacred ceremony. It's an attunement. And when he, after he did it, I felt really disoriented. And that hadn't happened the first class, and it never happened with anything to do with Reiki or any of the other things I'd ever done. I'd never felt disoriented doing chiropractic or acupuncture or herbs or anything. So that was a little strange. So I was thinking, okay, I'm not sure what's wrong with me. And I was thinking, maybe I ate something bad or, you know, <laughs> I don't, you know, I couldn't put together why I was feeling weird. And so the class ends, and we had to drive a little distance back to our apartment. So I just put the seat back and I said, I'm feeling weird. I'm just going to like lay back. So I lay back and we're driving home and we get home and we lived in this huge apartment complex, many, many different um, little apartment homes. So we head up and when I get into the apartment, I realize I can see dead people and, or at least I thought they were dead people at the time. And I am just flabbergasted. I don't know what else to say. My whole brain just goes on tilt, and I'm like, what in the world? And I never gave the afterlife much thought, really. I mean, I guess I figured it existed and so forth, but I never really spent a lot of time thinking about it or or ghosts or people who could talk. I just didn't. It just wasn't on my radar. And a few friends in college that were fascinated with those kinds of things, but I didn't. It didn't really light my fire, so I didn't, you know, didn't really um, spend a lot of time, you know, mulling over any of that. And so I'm just completely shocked. In the beginning, my husband, who had also took the course, could actually sense them and see them too. But within a few days, his senses sort of returned back to normal. Mine didn't. And I kept seeing these these dead people because my, my first reaction is, oh, my God, I can see dead people. Oh, my God, this is really, really, really weird. And then I just thought, okay, maybe it's a side effect and it'll go away. So I just tried to ignore it. But then I realized, oh my gosh, this isn't going away. So we called the Kung Fu guy and I said, look, we've got problems here. I'm, I'm seeing dead people. And he said, 
you're seeing dead people. I said, I am. And I said, it happened since you did the tumor. And he said, wow. He said, I've been doing this for many years. And he goes, never have I seen dead people or anybody I've ever worked with. Nobody's ever seen dead people. He said, I think maybe it's just part of your life path. And I'm what? No, no. I'm like, we need to undo this. He's like, I don't know how to undo it. I don't know how it came to be in the first place. And so he just basically said, good luck. And I get off the phone and I'm thinking, oh, okay. So my default when I when I get upset is to go into my left brain. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel safe. So I'm completely like trying to be logical about this, about this totally illogical thing. And so my thing is, okay, um, all right, so he can't help me. I don't know anybody else who's psychic. I don't know, you know, anything about this. So my logic was, so as this is these beings are continually coming up to me, and I got I got to figure out a lot of things later, but in the beginning I couldn't tell the difference between someone who was sleeping and walking out of their body versus someone who was dead and trying to talk to me. So these these beings are, I guess they know I'm psychic. And that's how it, it works. They know who can see them, and so they come to people, you know, who can see them and sense them or whatever. So I, now I'm like a light bulb to them. So they keep coming to me, and people will sometimes ask me, like, is it people you knew? No, it wasn't people I knew at first. It was just – it was random dead people. And and I didn't know who they were, but I knew they, they were trying to talk to me. And so what I would do is I started saying, look, I get that you're dead and you need some sort of help. I said, but I am not the person to help you. I am not clergy. I am not a counselor. I am not, you know, I'm an IT person and you clearly don't need any IT. You know, I need you to leave and go find somebody else. I said, I'm sure there's other people who can help you, but it isn't me. And that worked. Actually, most of them would, they would kind of go, oh, okay. And so they would just leave. And so I thought, okay, well, this is weird. But as long as they just leave, when I ask them to leave, I can deal with it. And before we move on to that, what did they start to look like you said? You know, I, I've learned now uh, over the years, it's different for everybody. For me, I saw them as transparent. Occasionally, I would have other psychics come up to me and say, can, how can you tell the difference between the dead people and the living people? And I'm thinking, you can't tell the difference between the dead ones and the living ones? And I'm thinking, oh, that would be that would be trouble. For me, they were transparent, so I could always see through them. So I never mixed up the dead people from the living people. So if I was around living people and dead people started to try to talk to me, I just ignored them because I knew they were the dead people. But but basically, what I could see was I could see their, you know, because they were kind of transparent. It was a little hard to make out all the details, but I could tell if someone had light colored hair, but I couldn't always tell whether it was like blonde or white. You know, because it was kind of transparent. I could see if someone's hair was dark, but I couldn't tell if it was dark brown or black. I could make out roughly their shapes. I could tell their height, their width. You know, I could tell if it was a child versus an adult. I could see roughly the kind of clothes they were wearing. But, like, I couldn't tell the difference between someone who was saying wearing red versus orange. Because I couldn't, but I could tell the difference between someone wearing red versus green or blue. So, and I could tell the shape of their clothes. I knew was someone wearing overalls or were they wearing a dress or were they wearing a, um, you know, that kind of thing. And they would come in the clothing, I guess, that they wore from the era when they died. So I could usually immediately tell if I was dealing with someone from more the modern era or someone who's from some ancient, you know, time gone by um, based on their clothes. So this was going on for months. You know, I'm working and I've got dead people showing up and I'm either ignoring them or asking them to leave. Um, and that's kind of it. You know, it's, it's nothing more... Um, that alone was just bewildering to me, but 
at least started to learn to sort of get used to it. So then I finally get this lady, and she comes in one evening. I'm about ready to go to bed, and she comes flying into the room, and she's wearing some ancient outfit, um, and she starts screaming at me. (laughs) Now, nobody had ever screamed at me. They had just come in and tried to talk to me. Um, Sometimes they babbled, and I couldn't understand what they were talking about. But anyway, that's another story. But she starts she's screaming at me, and I'm, like, trying to give her my spiel. Ma'am, I know you're, you need some help, but I can't help you. She's not listening to me. She's just yelling. And she's talking about somebody being murdered. I didn't know if she thought I murdered her or somebody else. I didn't know what was going on. All I know is she's screaming and there was something to do with murder. And I'm, and I'm asking her to leave and she's not leaving. And so my husband, who's beside me, is saying, what is going on? Because at this point, he can't see anything. He can't hear, but he, he can feel to a degree. And he could tell that I'm trying to have this dialogue with this person who's not leaving. And I said, this woman is screaming at me about someone being murdered, and she won't stop, and she's freaking me out. And he said, oh, this is, that's not good. And so I just closed my eyes, and I started praying. I said, look, God, I don't know what to do with this lady. Can you send an angel or something? And I don't know what made me ask for an angel specifically, mm-hmm. but I guess I just, you know— and all of a sudden, I open my eyes, and out of the corner on my left of my room is this gigantic angel. And I'd never seen an angel before. The angel swoops down and grabs this lady and is gone. And uh, my mouth is just hanging open. And my husband said, a giant gush of air just went by me. What happened? Oh, you're not going to believe this. So every time after that, whenever a dead person would enter my space, I would immediately say, God, I need an angel. And every time an angel would show up and take the person, usually before they even got close enough to talk to me. And so then I thought, this is fabulous. I may be psychic, but at least now I've got a system for dealing with this. And this started to reduce my stress level because now I didn't have to deal with trying to ask these people to leave. I would just ask for an angel. Angel would come in and take them. And then as the months went by, what ended up happening was I would sometimes I would walk in a room or, or, or something and I would realize an angel was standing there. But there, was no, there were no dead people. I hadn't called for an angel. And then I thought, oh, oh, okay. And I thought, well, all right. So they've, I guess, always been around. I just couldn't see them. So maybe this is like, this is normal, right? There's just an angel around and probably they're all around all people. And I just didn't ever notice it. So I just thought, okay, well, all right, this is all right. You know, thank you, angel. And, you know, and I, and so they, so I started seeing them, you know, but they weren't doing anything. They were just kind of hanging around. So how do they differ as far as, um, so these ghosts or these spirits and souls? The energy around, I, for, well, I could see them. They were kind of transparent too. But for me, I, that's just probably the number one question I get is what do angels look like? Well, to me, they look like Renaissance pictures of angels. So long hair, beautiful, glowing gowns, hovering, big wings, um, if their wings were open, you know, just exactly like, but, you know, what I found out later is not everybody sees angels the same way. Some people see angels oddly in trench coats. I'm not really sure why. And, um, and then some people see them with no wings and, you know, they're all, it's all over the place. Some people see them in rainbow colors. And, um, but what I was seeing were, were the holy guardian angels, my guardian angels. And so they were white and I've always seen the guardian angels white. But what I realized later is that angels really don't have a form. They don't have a shape. They take on whatever shape you would associate appropriate for that Mm -hmm. person yeah what so you know so um it was funny because as i started seeing angels i started seeing them around me first and then later i started seeing them around other people so then i could see other people's angels and so sometimes 
when I would see children, I would see what I weren't sure were if they were angels or other children because children's angels look like children. So I would so I would see children with these like what I thought were initially dead children hanging out with them, deceased children. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why do all these children have other dead children with them? And then the the angels would realize my mistake, and they would show me their wings. They would pop wings out. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh, okay, I get it. You're guardian angels to the children. And for whatever reason, they just look like children to the children. Yeah. And I totally believe Um, you because when I, uh, because I had heard about guardian angels and everything as a child, and I would always picture Michael beside me. And when I got my Reiki certification and went through the classes, I was praying one night before I went to my Reiki master and I went into the office and she kept looking above my head. And I said, what are you looking at? And she said, Archangel Michael is like clearing out your, your main chakra. Um, And I just got chills because I did not tell her, I didn't tell anyone, but I'd asked him to continue to work on my chakras until they were all clear and open. And so I know totally that people can see, yeah, so I know totally that people can see them and that they're there. I kind of feel them, but I don't have the ability to actually see the way, you know, physically see the way some people do like you. What ended up happening was as I kept in having these encounters, I'm trying to live my normal life. I only told my husband and my best friend were the only two people that knew I was having these experiences and the Reiki master guy who was a Kung Fu instructor, but I didn't take Kung Fu instructor. But um, I, I kept it to myself. And I, I just, my thinking was, you know what, um, this is personal and private and I don't even know why this is happening to me, but you know what, I'm just going to keep it to myself and, and, you know, so be it. You know, a lot of people believe in life after death and they have loved ones who can communicate. And a lot of people believe in angels and it's all good and whatever. It'll be fine. What I didn't realize was that it would continue to evolve. So, you know, it's a long, long story. But basically over the next year and a half, my psychic ability continued to evolve. It got greater and I started to have all kinds of pick up on all kinds of things. I started to be able to see people's auras and see chakras and I could see inside people's bodies. and um, and slowly angels start to communicate with me. So if at first they would just do simple things, like they would point at something if they wanted me to look at something or see something. And then the pointing became more um, in sort of not insistent, but more, there was more knowledge. So then I, I, I reached a point where I was getting yeses and nos, where I would think of something, they would say no, or I would think of something, they would say yes. And I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. And I remember one day after months and months of these yeses and nos, and not not to my asking questions. I wasn't asking them questions. They were just off volunteering information. And I and the way I sort of filtered everything was through my left brain. So I thought, well, garden angels are probably always offering people, you know, information. They just don't hear it, you know, and now I'm hearing it. And so what ended up happening was one day I remember thinking, I wonder if they can say anything other than yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try this out a little bit more. <laughs> you know, I'm like, how did I? And all of a sudden in front of me, this angel drew the words K-N-O-W. I realized. <laughs> They're only limited to yes and no. They're just giving me yes and no. Mm -hmm. But they can give all kinds of other information. So anyway, so then sort of slowly um, they started to do that. And I started to get the 
sense that I needed to practice my Reiki on other people. Because at the time, I was only practicing on myself and uh, occasionally my husband, my best friend. But I wasn't just like, you know, saying, hey, I do Reiki. Would you like me to lay hands on you? You know, which was so out of my personality. I just would never <laughs> do that. But I started very slowly telling my absolute closest and best friends that I was doing this. And I was having these experiences. And I had really mixed really super mixed reactions and I couldn't even tell what you know so like one of my friends I told her what was going on and she got mad at me because she's like you know this has always been my thing I've been into this stuff all many years and now you're trying to be into it and I'm like what I'm like it's not like a hobby I didn't pursue this like <laughs> this is the reaction and others of my friends were like this is really weird and um one of my best friends knew that you know my parents had had passed away and they, and, you know, young, I, um, I was 30 when I lost my father and 33 when I lost my mother. And so he said, you know what, maybe this is some sort of a reaction to you losing your parents. And I'm thinking, uh, oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I know a lot of people, when people die and they don't become psychic. <laughs> so, but it's like, you know, people were having trouble wrapping their head around it. So they were just trying to, you know, make sense of it any way that they could. And, and then I had other friends who said, you know, Ellen, you've always been intuitive. You have always known weird stuff. And you've always been able to pick up on strange things. And they're like, I'm not surprised you're psychic. I think you've always been psychic. Now you're just having these very obvious psychic experiences. And so, you know, um, I mean, like, for instance, I used to, when I, I worked in IT, I, I had no experience in IT before I started working in it. So it wasn't like I had any, you know, degree in it or, or exposure to it, or I even knew anybody who coded or was a programmer. Um, so when I would work on these projects, I was the project manager often, I wouldn't know the technology. And sometimes I would know, I would know that one of my programmers was hard coding when they need to be soft coding and things like that. But I couldn't prove it because I didn't know any of the code. Well, what happened is I would dream it at night. Mm. I would dream the code. And then the next day I would go in and I could print the code out and I would take a highlighter and I'll highlight the sections where there were hard coding, not that I understood any of it. <laughs> and then I would go to the person and I would say, look, you're supposed to be soft coding this and you're hard coding this. And here's the proof. I said, I'm not going to tell anybody. I want you to fix this. And boy, the looks of shock I got were just astounding. They were like, and they would say, I didn't know you, you knew code. I, mean, I don't know code. I just dream it. But, but um, you know, I couldn't have told, told you what that code said for anything in the world. But all I knew was that was it. So I had all these little weird stuff that I did like that. And um, and so so anyway, so my friends that were supportive ended up, you know, saying, okay, well, you're doing Reiki. Well, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll be, you know, a guinea pig for your Reiki or whatever. And so I started practicing Reiki on people. I wasn't paying them or they weren't, I mean, they weren't paying me. It was nothing formal. They'd just come to my apartment and now I'd work on them. But all these bizarre things started happening. So I remember one of my best friends, she comes over, my friend from college, um, and I lay hands on her and I'm doing the thing I've been taught, you know, the little sequence and whatever. And all of a sudden I look down and I can see through her body, like literally I, her pelvic area. I could see 
directly through the skin as if her skin had become transparent. And all I could see was she had the cyst on an ovary and it was really, really big and it was really red. And I said, oh my God, I said, you have a giant cyst on your ovary. I said, you have to go and get this looked at. Promise me you're going to go get this looked at right away. Because I didn't know if it was a cancer, if it was with birth. I had no clue. You know, I had no medical knowledge. <laughs> so mm-hmm. all I knew was I suddenly could see this and it was really bad. And so she was like, okay. And so she goes home and she doesn't go to the doctor and that it burst two weeks later and she had to have emergency surgery. And then she tells her husband that I identified it and it freaks him out. So then he doesn't really mm-hmm. want her to do any more Reiki with me. But of course the Reiki didn't cause the When you see the things, do you also feel it? So like, um, it entirely depends upon the situation. So I had a woman come to me. Well, when I finally started doing Reiki with the public, there's so much to my story, but I, I ended up working with medical professionals. So I ended up working with chiropractors and acupuncturists and medical doctors and nurses and people like that. And so I was still very, very quiet about it. They basically recommended me to people. I I worked in offices where my name was on the door. I dressed in white. So people often thought I was a massage therapist or a nurse practitioner or something. And that was intentional. I did not want people to know who I was unless they needed to know who I was. And I'm kind of unassuming and ordinary looking. So I sort of fly under the radar. Nobody really notices me if, if if I don't want them to. So I had this woman come in. She was referred, I believe, by a medical doctor. And she had been in um, a horrible car accident, but I didn't know that. Because what I ask is when people come to me, they don't tell me what's going on with Mm -hmm. them. Because if they start telling me what's going on, it engages my left brain. And then I'm no longer in my intuitive place. I'm now in my analytical place. And so I read best when I'm in my analytical place. I don't want people to tell me anything. So this woman came in and... um, you know, I asked her a few, you know, general questions and then we got on, got her on the table. As soon as I laid hands on her, the entire room went on tilt. And then I became very, very cold, extremely cold, like it was winter, but this was in the spring or summer. And I said to her, um, and I started seeing triplicate, which was, that was super special because here I am, I'm in this room. The room is now tilted. I'm freezing cold and I'm seeing triplicate. And I told her, I said, I said, are you having extreme vertigo? And she said, yes. And I said, are you very cold? She says, all the time. And I said, are you seeing things in triplicate? She said, yes. And then later I found out that she also could barely speak, except Mm. for when she ended up in the room with me. For some reason, she could speak. She had been in a horrendous car accident and was having a very difficult time recovering. So after that session, I ended up having to wear coats every time I worked with her because she was, I, I became so cold. But every session, the room got more upright. It got mm-hmm. less tilted and less tilted, and she got, or I, got warmer. She got warmer, and her vision came back to normal. So by the time it was all done, I worked with her for, gosh, probably a year or more, and everything was all normal again after it was all done, and she was able to go back to her career, which was, I think, as a mortgage worker, and, but it was a very, very long time. So what I ended up discovering was when I laid hands on people, anything goes. Mm-hmm. I might see things. I might hear things, I might smell things, I might taste things, anything could happen. And I, and every single session was totally different. Um, well, except for a few people like this lady with the vertigo and so forth. But oftentimes, whatever was going on in the other person's body, I could feel it. Um, and then 
I would then it would release. It would release in me first, mm. and a few seconds later, the person would say, "Oh my God, that pain went away," or "Oh my God, that whatever went away," or "My vision is corrected," or "My whatever was corrected." So it's almost like you were and, processing it and healing um, through you. I don't think I was healing through me. I think mm-hmm. that it they were letting me experience what the person was experiencing mm-hmm. in order for me to know what was going on. Okay. It was faster to let me feel it than to try to explain it to me. But when I was first working with people, I had a massage table. And I'm, I'm pretty short. I'm 5'1". I guess that's really short. But anyway, 5'1". So I'm a kind of small person. And I would adjusted the table to what I thought would be a height that would be comfortable for me to lay on hands for someone. Because I, I would often do it in the beginning for an hour. Um, as I got more proficient, I could heal more faster. So my sessions went from an hour to half an hour. And then in some cases, they were only 15 minutes. Um, So they got shorter and shorter as I got faster. But anyway, my back started hurting. And so I would do a session, I have back pain, and then I would adjust the table either higher, lower to a different angle, thinking that it was something going on with me. I was holding myself in a weird way. So I would try different stances. And then this woman came in, and I laid hands on her. And within seconds, my whole left side started to go numb, and I could feel my face drop. And I said to her, have you had a stroke? And she said, yes. And that's when I realized, oh, my God, all that back pain, that wasn't mine. That was the back pain other people were feeling. And I realized, gosh, a lot of people have back pain. Who knew? So I I had no idea because I didn't particularly have back pain. But anyway, I don't have any kind of pain. So I'm kind of a clean slate in that regard. But um, yeah, and so I worked on this lady. And, you know, it's hard to work on someone when you feel like half your body is. So I'm uh, so I, sometimes the, the symptoms would be so strong that I would have to ask angels. Um, and a lot of times if I didn't know the people, I wouldn't talk out loud to the angels. Um, I would just talk in my head to them so that I didn't sound like a complete cuckoo. <laughs> but they uh, but I would just say, could you ease up the symptoms? I, I understand persons have a stroke, but I can't move around the table effectively. My leg is dragging you know <laughs> so 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 that's how it would how they would do it but when I was taught Reiki and I don't know if you were taught this as well but I was taught to go around the body in a sequence so sort of making a U you mm-hmm. would start at you know one foot and work your way all the way around to the other foot and you would hold each position about one or two minutes I can't remember what the exact it's one. about two minutes each and then that, that so, would always take so forever <laughs> exactly it takes forever so I was taught that and I am a rule follower so I was following my little rules of how I did it. Now, keep in mind, I've been doing this for a few years before I was practicing with the public. And so what would happen is, you know, I would, you know, start the session and almost always people would fall asleep on me. Like within a matter of a minute, they were asleep. So I usually did all my sessions with people asleep, which was fine because I'm like seeing things, hearing things. I've got a whole lot of hoopla going on and I've got, you know, and I'm just going around doing my sessions. So what would happen is that I would have, you know, my angels, the other person's angels, and the angels would start pointing. Like, so I would, let's say I'm at the person's knee and next thing I know, they're pointing at the shoulder and wanting me to go to the shoulder. And I'm like, no, there's a whole bunch of points between this shoulder, you know, this knee and the shoulder. And they're like, and so I'm almost like arguing with them. Like, no, I've got to go to this point next and this point next. And they're, and they're like pointing at the shoulder, go to the shoulder. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. And then I thought I'm arguing with guardian angels. What is wrong with me? So I just (laughs) go to the shoulder and then they want me to go to the ankle. And then they want me to go to the wrist. And I'm like basically jumping around all over the person. And I'm and sometimes I'm holding the positions for a second, not two mm-hmm. minutes like you're supposed to, right? And so at first this is totally stressing me out. And I'm like, 
this is crazy. You're having me do this crazy schizophrenic session where I'm like all jumping all over the person. And sometimes they would have me do entire sessions where I was only on one side of the body or the other, never went to the other side. Or they'd have me do an entire session where the vast majority of the session, I hold held one position. You make me feel a lot better because I did that in the beginning. And then I started just hopping around as well, because I see it in my mind. And like, intuitively, I go to where I'm supposed to. Years and years later, somebody, and I can't remember the name of the person, translated the original teachings of the the original Japanese teachings, and they don't have hand positions. Okay. They do everything based on intuition. You're supposed to go where you feel. And so I was actually, so apparently whoever, the lady who brought the teachings of Reiki into the United States, she added the hand positions in because she thought it would be easier for Americans to follow the system rather than just say, you need to follow your intuition. She made these hand positions. So you and I are actually following the original way the system was taught in Japan in, you know, whatever the 1930s. So what I ended up finding out was as I was doing these crazy sessions where I'm like all over the place, some people knew because they had studied Reiki. And and actually what I didn't realize was I was getting a bunch of clients who were Reiki masters because my word was getting out about my Reiki and how Ellen's Reiki was different from everybody else's Reiki. Not just that I'm jumping around, but how what I accomplish and what I achieve. And what I would do is after the session was done, I woke the person up. And they would sit down and I would tell them everything that I sent. And I would and I learned from early, when I was first psyching and I started to give readings. Um, my initial readings, if I didn't understand something that came to me, I wouldn't want to say it to the person. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if somebody's mom showed up and said, I love you so much. I could understand that mom loves kid. What, you know, like this made sense to me. I could, but if I'm laying, if I'm reading somebody and just like a cuckoo bird shows up, I'm just like, uh, okay. I don't know what that means. And I don't know how to interpret it. I don't know what, you know, it meant nothing to me. But what I found out later was some of these things that meant nothing to me were meant something to the person that I was doing the reading for. And to give you an example, I was reading for this couple that I knew, and they were having some problems, and they called me and asked me to meet with them, and so I did. And I sit down, and I know this is serious, and they're going to ask me some serious questions, and I tap in, and all I can see is a freaking lizard. It looks like some kind of salamander. It's got some blue and green, and all I see. And so I keep pushing this lizard out of my mind. Okay, I don't know why I'm seeing lizards. Let me move it out. So I keep pushing it out lizard keeps coming back. And I finally realized I can't get anything but this lizard. Like I can't get anything, this lizard. So finally I said, look guys, this is really awkward. I I hate to say this. I know you want your questions answered, but all I'm seeing is this lizard. And and they kind of looked at me weird. And I thought, oh God, they probably think I'm just as crazy as it sounds like to me. And so I described the lizard because I don't know what else to do. You know, I'm seeing this lizard. So I describe it and they burst out laughing. And I'm just like, thinking, okay, I hope this is good. And they told me that they were leaving to come to the session. Now, I didn't know where these people lived. I'd never been to their house. And they stepped out on the porch, and this lizard that I'm describing to them is exactly what they saw, this lizard with this blue stripe and this green stripe and whatever. And then they went on, you know, but it was so distinct that they'd never seen anything like it before that it really caught their eye. Well, what the lizard was, was confirmation to these people that I actually am psychic because they knew I'd never been to their house and they knew I didn't know what this weird lizard looked like. So as soon as I told them about the lizard, bam, it just, everything started to flow. And, and what I found out over the years is that when it's important for someone to know that I am psychic, 
something will happen where I will know something that there's no way I could possibly know it. So that person knows that I'm authentically psychic. So I don't have to spend my time convincing anybody of psychic ability or whatever. Like my friend who thought that maybe I was having my psychic phenomena. I mean, he didn't say your psychic phenomena is probably psychotic. He didn't say that, but that was what he was thinking. I thought, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. You know, if someone thinks you're crazy, there's really not much you could do about it. You just have to say, well, you know, it's what they think and what can you do? So anyway, so I wake up one morning and I can't see anything in my left eye. And I think it's my left eye. Anyway, and and I, I sat up in bed abruptly and I said, oh my God, is this my eye or somebody else's? And they said, it's somebody else's. And then they told me my friend's name. And so I called him and I said, are you blind in one eye? And he said, yes, how do you know? And I said, remember that psychic thing I told you about? And I said, would you let me help you? And he said, um, okay. Well, he's in another state. He has no clue what I'm talking about because I'm going to do a distance healing. So I do the, you know, I he agrees because, of course, why not? So I get I get in the, um, I do the session, and then I call him, and I said, I said, first of all, this has to do with a fight you had with your mother. He goes, I did have a fight with my mother. I said, yes. I said, this is related to a fight with your mother. I said, and I said, also, you're going to have an occlusion. I said, you're going to get your sight back with the exception of there will be an occlusion in the middle of that eye, but you'll get used to it. You won't notice it after a while. I said, but you'll always have that. And a few weeks later, he called me. He said, he said it's exactly as you said. He goes, the infection completely cleared up. He goes, but I do have a small occlusion in the middle of the eye. He goes, but I've gotten used to it. I don't even notice it anymore. Oh. He said, how did you do that? And I said, you don't even want it more than I can explain in a few minutes. <laughs> like so so then there were no questions with him ever after that as to what I'm psychic. So things like that just kept happening with my friends. The vast majority of my close friends know that I'm psychic because weird stuff happens to help them um know it. You know, I remember one of my best friends, we hadn't talked in probably fifteen years. She had moved away and she wasn't on the internet and she ended up finding me. She lived in Florida and then moved back here. And um, so she didn't, she had no idea of any of this all psychic stuff. And she found me. And by the time she found me, there was like, you know, tons and tons of stuff about me on the internet being psychic because um, I did that. I did, uh, I was on the contact talk radio network in 2011 and I did a radio show on there, a talk radio show for a year. And so I ended up having clients all around the world. And at that point she had, she found me and was like, you're doing what? It was just very, very shocking to her. So, so anyway, so she, you know, she was, you know, loved me and knew me and, you know, she didn't understand any of the psychic stuff, but she was like, okay, I don't get any of this. And so one day she's coming to visit me and she calls me on the phone and she's at a rest stop and she's just in tears. And she said, I lost money. She goes, it's a hundred dollars and it's in an envelope. And she said, I can't find it. She said, and I said, well, let me see if I can find it for you. And she's like, you're, where are you? And I said, well, no, I mean, psychically. So I tapped in and I, I said, let me, let me do this. I'll call you right back. So I hung up and I tapped in and I saw where it was in her bedroom. And so I called her and I said, it's in this bookcase between these types of books. It's on shelf number three, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now I had been to her home, but when we were kids, when we were in high school, I hadn't been to her house and, you know, I mean, God, I was like 40 then, you know, so I had been to her house since I was, you know, maybe 17 or 18. And it certainly didn't look that way. She'd moved out and moved back in. So nothing was in the same place. So she calls her mother and asks her mother to go in and look in the bookcase where I said, and sure enough, that's where the money was. 
And and so um, you know, so it was. It's things like like that that would occur. Not necessarily that specific thing. I um, never found another envelope of money in it. That was the only one. But um, so please don't have people calling me find envelopes of money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, but things like that happen. So it's it's nice that I don't have to try to explain this because it's not. It's harder to explain to people who have no, who aren't tapped in. When I started getting, um, as my communication with angels got more and more uh, detailed, and I started, it took me the longest time to figure out that I could ask them a question and get an answer. I don't even know why, but for some reason, asking a question and getting an answer back didn't even occur to me for years. So I just got whatever they told me because I didn't think to ask. And then finally, I started asking, and that's later when I started to realize I could do readings. But when I first started doing readings, I didn't understand how to interpret information. And I realized as I, as, as once I became a teacher that the vast, first, vast majority of people who come to me as students are already psychic. What they aren't is they don't have control over it. Mm-hmm. They get information, but they get the information intermittently or they get the information and it doesn't make sense to them. So in the beginning, information didn't necessarily make sense to me either. So I remember one of my earliest readings, I was in a practice group. Um, I was studying with at the time with Doreen Virtue, and I went to this big class in Hawaii, and there were hundreds of people there. And, um, and I was matched up with this guy, and I saw a backyard, a woman in a wedding dress, and I got the word June. So I interpreted that as a backyard wedding in June, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what it really was was his mother was named June. Mm. She took photos of brides in her backyard. It was close, but not quite right. And so what I realized from that experience was it was very important for me to relay the information, but not interpret it. Kind of like you're just verbatim showing them what you're seeing or feeling so that they interpret it, the message, the way that they're supposed to receive it. Now, of course, years and years later, as as a teacher, I do interpret things. But I do that because I have years and years of experience. And so when I see things, if I don't know what they mean, I will ask for the interpretation and then I will get the interpretation. And I could do it all very quickly. So, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, do I need to book you for an hour or half an hour? I'm like, well, I can cover a lot in half an hour. So if I were you, I'd start with half an hour. And um, because, you know, I can go fast. But when you're first learning, you don't want to go fast. Mm-hmm. You want to try and develop accuracy, not deep interpretations, because interpretations, you learn how to interpret better over time. I would say that totally and makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I was first psychic and I was getting this barrage of, you know, information that I couldn't control and didn't understand. Sometimes I would like, I would go to dinner with my husband and we would be sitting at a table and I would know information about all the people around us. I would know this guy's cheating on his wife. This person has this medical condition. This person is, you know, interviewing the next morning for a job. I would know all kinds of stuff, but it was all random. It was just random information that I was just picking up on. And I found it overwhelming and unnecessary. I mean, it wasn't like I was going to share anything with any of these people or, you know, I mean, at that point, if I'd shared anything with people, it would have been much more a novelty than anything else. Like, oh, I'm weird and I can pick up on stuff about you and, you know, I know you're having an interview tomorrow, but it's like not useful. It's not like you're having an interview tomorrow and you should wear the pink tie. It'll help. What I have found is that for me, same thing, like I wasn't able to necessarily interpret and I would get random information. So now what I ask is my guides and angels to just give me the information when I'm supposed to receive it. 
What kind of tips do you give people or would have for people that are listening that if they wanted to channel in intuition and or, you know, control it as a little bit more like you were saying, what are like the tips that you would give people? Well, it took me a long time to learn to control it, but I kept asking the angels to help me learn how to control it. And it took me about a year or so, and now I can turn it on and off. So a lot of psychics I know, they have their psychic ability on all the time, but they're also psychic from birth. Uh, Most psychics are psychic from birth. And so they don't know anything but having their psychic ability on all the time. It would make no, it would be weird to them to turn it off. But because I became psychic at 33, Mm -hmm. I having all this barrage of information is very distracting to me. And it makes me feel like I don't live in the ordinary world with ordinary people. I don't know how to explain it. So I prefer that if I am going about my ordinary life, if I am grocery shopping or I am, you know, taking my kid to the community pool or I'm having a parent-teacher conference, I don't really want my psychic ability on. Mm -hmm. I just want to live my ordinary life as a conventional person. Now, when I say it's off, it's never really completely off. It's really just very, very low because I can't completely turn it off, but I keep it very, very low unless there is an emergency situation. And so I have an agreement with the angels that if there's an emergency, all my psychic ability will flip on. And so that's happened to me on numerous occasions. I just like I was walking down the street in New York with a friend of mine, me taking a class, and all of a sudden I said, I have to turn here. And she and she's like, What? And I and so we turned down the street that we had no plan to go down. And I turned quickly and I know something's gonna happen. And all of a sudden the man in front of me starts to stumble and I knew immediately he was gonna have a heart attack. So I was holding books, and so was my, my friend. I throw my books at my friend. I <laughs> grab the man. He falls to the ground, and I immediately start working on him. Other people call 911. And, I mean, we're in, like, Manhattan. We're not in – like, we're not in some obscure area. There's tons of people around. Most of them are just ignoring what happens because it's New York. Weird stuff happens all the time. And so I end up working on him, and then the ambulance gets him and takes him away. And, um, and, and, you know, I just sent him on his way, hoping that he'll be okay. But I knew that those moments from the time he stumbled until he fell in the ambulance, got there, it was a matter of life and death for that man. Okay. So he was alone, um, or, or he probably worked there. I'm sure he has no recollect. He probably remembers the weird girl who grabbed him and started praying on him and laying hands on him. But, you know, he doesn't have any idea who I am. But that we, I've had that happen. I was, I worked in a building with a medical doctor and I was on one end and the doctor was at the other. And I was talking to a student and all of a sudden I stood up and I said, I have to go now. And the student's just like, what? And I jump up and I run down the hallway and I get to the doctor's office. I throw the door open and the doctor is in her business office doing whatever. And this woman is in a chair and she was getting a, I think a foot bath or I don't know, she was getting something and she's having a heart attack in the in the doctor's office and I threw a plant out of the way I think it was a palm or tree or something anyway to get to the lady and I immediately get to her and at that moment my best friend walks in um, Jason who was also a Reiki master and I said Jason I need you to lay on hands on this woman immediately and we started laying on hands on her and by the time she got to a her cardiologist the cardiologist thought she was crazy he said because she'd had a heart attack prior he said your heart has never looked better. There's no way you had a heart attack this morning. It wow. didn't happen. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, so stuff, weird stuff like that has, has happened to me a lot. When people um, are first starting out, people will say, do you, do you think psychic ability is a gift? I guess it can be a gift depending on how, it, how you experience it. But really, I think it's an ability. Okay. 
And I think it's an ability, just like artistic ability is an ability, athletic is an ability. So I believe there are people who are gifted, challenged, and able. And I think, you know, just like we have gifted athletes, most people can play play tennis, but only some people are gifted at tennis. And me, there would be people like me who would be challenged at tennis. I would not be a good tennis player. <laughs> so psychic ability is like that. It's just that the reaction, you know, if a child shows athletic ability, there's a good chance their parents are going to get them in a sport, you know, whether they're male or female. If a child shows artistic ability, eh, you know, depending on, on how the parent values art, they may take their child to art classes. They may not, but they're probably not going to say anything negative about it, maybe. However, if a child comes in and says, I just saw a granddad, well, granddad died last year. That's not going to probably be welcomed in most households. That's going to be thought of as weird or or creepy or negative or, you know, or possibly even, you know, something very negative, you know, demonic or, you know, I mean, it could, could go any number of directions. But, but what's not going to happen is they're going to go, oh, darling, you're psychic. Oh, how <laughs> wonderful. Let's get you some help with those abilities. Like, that's just not going to happen, right? <laughs> So the thing is, it's an ability. So most people are able to tap into their psychic ability. And what I have found through just working with, you know, probably a few thousand people over the last close to 18 years, I guess, is that um, most people have have their ability. It's generally dormant. So it's there, but it's not necessarily, they're not utilizing it in any way. And if they want to tap into it, they have to embrace it. So it'd be kind of the same concept as a person who's a wonderful watercolor painter, but they never pick up a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. So they never know that they have this amazing ability or someone who's fantastic at soccer, but they don't know because they never, ever play soccer, you know, or any other, you know, any other ability, insert thing here, glass blowing, golf, whatever. So that's sort of psychic ability. When people first start embracing their ability, it's a lot easier for me to work with people who have something going on. And then I can, because I, one of my gifts is, because I'm a teacher, is I can tap into how other people are psychic as long as they have some ability. So I can generally tap into my students and say, okay, you've got clairvoyance and you've got clairaudience, which clairvoyance is seeing, psychic mm -hmm. sight, and clairaudience is psychic hearing. And, or I can say, you've got, you know, sometimes I get people with rear abilities. Like I had a woman who had her abilities were primarily smelling and tasting. Wow. And it turned out that she was a, a chef. My abilities are not um, really, I don't get a lot of tasting, smelling kind of stuff. I do get some of it, but not a lot. If you're a chef, I can see where that would be super helpful. When someone comes into my course, if they, if they have a skill or an ability that's higher than mine, which is pretty rare, then my ability will entrain up to theirs. So while this gal was in my class, I started being able to smell and taste all kinds of things that weren't there. Like I remember I was out with Jeff and we were at a um, farmer's market and I kept smelling these amazing peaches. And I was like, oh my God, where are the peaches? And Jeff and I, and Jeff says, oh, and Jeff, Jeff's my husband. Um, and he's also psychic, but not quite the same way as I'm psychic. He has different type of abilities. But anyway, Jeff started to be able to smell the peaches too. And so we're walking around and we're looking for these peaches. Where are these peaches? Where are these peaches? They smell amazing. And we couldn't find the peaches. So finally I go up to the lady and I said, "I, where are your peaches? I can, I, I'm looking for the peaches. She goes, we don't have any peaches. What? I mean, it was the dominant thing I smelled in the entire farmer's market were these peaches. And I said, are, are you kidding me? You don't have any peaches in the entire farmer's market. And she said, no. 
And I looked at Jeff and he goes, I can smell them too. And I thought, this is so super weird. And my thinking was, there must be peaches in here and this lady just doesn't know where they are. But I'm thinking, why can't she smell them? I mean, they're so predominant. So I go to class that night with my gal who's a chef. She had made me a peach cobbler. That was the peaches. And the thing was, while she was making this cobbler for me, I was smelling because I was, she was tapped into me. She was thinking of me. So she was doing what I call a ping. A lot of my terms are computer terms. She was pinging me psychically because she was thinking about me while she was making the speech cobbler. And then she was pinging me and I was picking up on the peaches and I was smelling peaches because that's what her dominant ability is, is smell and taste. So I'm smelling these peaches, but there were no peaches there. How was the peach cobbler? Fabulous. (laughs) She's very, very good. Um, So anyway, so when I start, my first thing I do is I try to figure out what somebody's abilities are, even if they don't believe that they have these abilities. I need to figure out what they are. And once I know kind of what their abilities are, what their dominant abilities are, then I can start to help them tap into those abilities. So in my psychic development classes, what I do is I start out the first night and I lecture so everybody has a common sort of an understanding of what we're going to be doing, how we're going to be doing it, why we're going to be doing it, and they understand the terminology I'm going to be using. And then we start the next classes are all exercises. And I'm pairing people up and pairing people up and pairing people up. And I never do the same exercises exactly in each course because what I do is I change the exercises up based on who's in the class and what they need to learn. And so I'm pairing people up in order for them to develop their abilities. And some people, it pops. Like that first time we do something, bam, their abilities are open. And sometimes it takes the whole course for the person's abilities to come to light. And I like to teach the course best. I teach it two different ways. I teach it once a week for six weeks or I teach it in an intensive weekend. I prefer to teach it once a week for six weeks. But obviously not everybody can just take six weeks off of work and come Mm -hmm. live here in my area and study with me for six weeks. So, But I find that that way of doing it works best because then people have time, you know, a week in between the sessions to then sort of allow things to settle and to, you know, um, be with the abilities and let the abilities kind of become deepened in their system instead of like, okay, we did, you know, six hours of readings. Now we're going to sleep and now we're going to do six hour readings again or or whatever the case may be. You know, everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Everybody's completely different. What I've found is that the vast majority of people usually have two psychic abilities. They might have sight and hearing, or they might have knowing and feeling. Mm -hmm. They might have feeling and hearing. And occasionally I'll get people who have three abilities or four abilities or five or six. Um, And it's, Usually the people that have, if I see someone who's got four or more abilities, generally I know they're teachers because they're, you know, they're, to me, there's like the practitioner who's the person that taps into whatever. And then usually not only do they have an ability, they have a specialty. That's just been my experience. My specialties are health and angels. I can talk to dead people. I can talk to animals. I can see fairies. Yes, fairies exist. I didn't believe it either until I started seeing them. Um, I can, I can, I get premonitions, but I can't get them on command. I can see into past lives. I can do lots and lots of healing, do da. I've got lots of healing, sort of strange healing uh, abilities. And, and I can drive out things. I occasionally got the, get the content for haunted houses, which are almost never haunted. And, uh, but anyway, that's another story for another time. But anyway, but when people start out, I think it's important to know what you've got going on and how to best tap into it. And really, there's no other way to develop your psychic ability 
than practicing with it. Mm-hmm. it. It would be like if I said to you, Nicole, you're great at soccer. Why don't you go read books on soccer? Why don't you watch movies about soccer? Why don't you study people who've been famous soccer players? That would all be great, but it wouldn't help you develop your ability in soccer, right? Right. Absolutely. You just become like an expert in soccer. Well, if you want to be good at soccer, you have to go play soccer. And that means you can go out and play with, you know, yourself or play with friends. But how are you going to learn soccer best? With a soccer coach, right? Mm -hmm. On a team of people who are playing soccer. Well, that's the same thing with psychic ability. So what I recommend for people is if you want to learn psychic ability, you got to figure out what kind of ability you have, at least if you can, Mm -hmm. and find a teacher who has similar style and tap in in a similar way that you do or want to, Uh, because not every teacher is ideal for every student. And the good thing is, is that there, I mean, now with the internet and the fact that people do this more. It's easier to Mm -hmm. find, but I'd imagine to do your due diligence as well to find not only the right person, but if they have references or, you know, somebody else has experienced it is usually the best thing. Because there are some people out there that don't, in my opinion, have, um, they say that they're intuitive or they do things and they exploit. And, you know, it's that you just want to make sure they're finding the right person. Well, that's just true of every, you know, every, Mm -hmm. every profession, you've got people who are going to exploit or lie or exaggerate or whatever. Um, I turn away about one out of every 10 people that comes to me to be a student because not because I don't want to help them because I'm not their ideal teacher. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I can, I can guide them toward who their teacher is. Sometimes I don't even know who the teacher, I don't personally know the teacher at all. I just know of them. And I know that that person would study and I get calls or emails back saying, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You're right. This is the right teacher for me. And occasionally I get people who call me and they say, I know that I'm supposed to be studying with Ellen who speaks to angels, but it's not me. Believe it or not, there's actually other women named Ellen who talk to (laughs) angels. And so I got this very enthusiastic person who called me from Florida and said, I know, I know it's Ellen who talks to angels. It must be you. And I said, actually, it's not. I said, it's this woman in your backyard named Ellen. And so I guided, um, I can't remember her last name or I'd say it, but anyway, she was the, the actual teacher it was funny because she had to find me on the internet to find the teacher who was in her zip code. So that's what I would recommend doing. And now I, I will give some disclaimers here. When I first have people come to me um, to learn, oftentimes I'll have people say, well, I want to see angels, but I don't want to see dead people. Or I want to I want to see angels. I believe in angels and afterlife, but I don't believe in past lives or I don't believe in fairies or I don't whatever. Insert, you know, thing. Well, I'm not in control of what people get. Study with me and all you will ever get are lovely white fluffy angels. You know, I mean, if you open, if you decide to open that aspect of yourself, you're going to, you're going to tap into all kinds of things. How well you interpret those things or understand those things, I, I you know, that's unique to that person. But I, uh, I have no control over that. And it's really not a thing where you can unring that bell, you know. If you decide, I want to understand the metaphysical aspect of things, then you will learn metaphysical things, but not necessarily things you expected. So I had a friend who took one of my workshops, and she was kind of intuitive. She just she says, I don't want, you know, anything to do with dead people or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, I have no control over what you're going to get. Well, she ends up taking my class anyway, and she ends up hearing trees. Yes, trees speak. I totally believe that. And not only do they speak, 
if they're you're kind of if you're their kind of whatever psychic they have all kinds of things to tell you and what i found out through working with her and then sort of tapping into the tree thing which you know isn't really my thing i love trees don't get me wrong but um is that trees can communicate with each other all over the world and so if you wanted if you were a say tree communication by the way is primarily a shamanic ability it's not really a i mean it's a psychic ability but tends to fall into that realm people are into earth earth stuff and um what they would do is they would ask if if someone was had a tree communication ability they would ask the tree to tell them what was going on in other places on the planet Mm. and the trees would also communicate things back to the shaman like you know an enemy tribe is coming or you know, a, a plague is, is coming or a, or a, fa- a famine or, or w- they would tell them things and, so that they would know. But they but it was like this, you know, it was the Internet of the, of the shamanic world, you know, <laughs> where the, all the trees are all tapped into each other and can communicate to each other. But um, anyway, but but because that's not really my primary ability, I have all of these abilities, but I don't use them all because. I, I use the abilities that I need for what I need to do. And, um, you know, I have kind of a, I have a lot of people call me for readings, but then I have people who study with me and that's a whole different experience. When and is your next class or how often do you have your classes for people that I want? used to teach a lot before my daughter was born. I taught three weekends out of a month, but after she was born, I took time off and then my in-laws moved in with us and they, my father-in-law passed away last summer my mother-in-law still lives with us, and she's 90. And so um, we, she lives in our house, and we, you know, have do a lot of elder care with her. So I haven't, I haven't taught. I've only taught one workshop in the last few years, and I only usually it's um, my higher level students um, who that's word of mouth. But I've been, I've received a message that I'll start teaching again probably next year, next summer. So about a year from now, I'll start teaching again. So I teach psychic development. Um, level one and level two, and I teach Reiki, and my Reiki is only in three levels. Um, and I call it Reiki with angels um, because I combine the two things. The people who study with me get this sort of east week meets west kind of a situation. Um, so, yeah, because that probably gels yeah, with a lot so. of different people who, you know, may have the Western logic in mind and having grown up with it, but then also you get the balance of, you know, the Eastern as well. And it, it's not, you know, it's not for everybody. There's all kinds of many different types of Reiki out there, and they're all, you know, um, lovely and just different. And I think you people just go with whatever they resonate with, whatever clicks with them. But before before we're done, I want to ask you if you have any questions. Well, for me personally, well, before we wrap up, actually, I, I normally don't do this, but I was going to ask you, um, I was like, I'm going to call her later and schedule a session. But I was wondering, based on your intuition, what are you getting as my top gifts or my you know, do I have one, two, three, four? I'd already you have four. I have four. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, you have all four. Actually, technically, you have all six, but the two you don't have very strongly, which is is okay. Um, they're not necessary. So, no, you've got all four. You've got, um, you know, for for everybody else, we call it clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, claircognizance. But we'll just say you've got sight, you've got hearing, you've got seeing, you've got feeling, you've got knowing, you've got all of them. Now, what you don't have is all of them completely in sync with each other. Yes. In order to do better readings, you want everything more synchronized so that as you're doing a reading, you're sort of getting this as dovetailing with that. 
and so that it's hard to explain, um, but I think you know a little about what I'm, because you've got enough ability to know what I'm talking about, but when everything's in sync. And then um, I would say, because you have these abilities, you don't have them, you're not utilizing them all to the highest degree that you can. So you might want to um, work on that to expand it up to the higher a higher level so that you can have all of the knowledge you would like. And when I say expand to a higher level, I mean that means gaining more information and a greater and deeper understanding of the information that you get. Okay. What I don't see is I don't see any of your information being mixed up. So sometimes when people get psychic information, it's, it comes in in a way that's sort of wonky. And like, I'll just give you an example. I, I worked with someone for a long time who they were scared of their ability. So all of the psychic information they would get came in sort of either garbled or mixed up. It wasn't that they weren't authentically psychic. They just weren't able to translate it. And so when they were calling me and asking me about these, these things, I mean, sometimes it would come as cartoons or, you know, and I just, I remember thinking, what you know and so i i said okay angels let's start from scratch what are you trying to communicate and i would skip over all the garbled or confusing stuff because i couldn't make heads nor tails out of it but i knew it was psychic i just didn't know what it meant and so i would have them bring me the information the way it was meant to be and over time we were able to clear the fears that she had of psychic ability so that she could just get information directly and with clarity. I just see you being able to take what you have and expanding it into greater knowledge and more deeper interpretation and stuff like that. Okay, well, that's great to know. Yeah, I when I was getting the, the intuition to start the show, it was more okay. not just to share my story, but share other stories and how other yeah. people could just experience it because I do want to make it you know, accessible to people, because to your point earlier, either you're in it, um, and you have family and friends that embrace it and help nurture, help you nurture it. Or at the same time, it's you're afraid of it. And you don't necessarily even know where to start if you want to explore it. Um, one of the things I started doing um, before my daughter was born was I did a class, I started practicing trying out classes um, using um, a teleconference system. So the way the teleconference system was, I would do the same um, lecture I would do on the first night through teleconference. Everybody would be on the phone. And then the teleconference system would allow me to pair people up randomly two by two. So I would hit that, and it would just pair people up, and it was amazing. My sister-in-law decided to be on it just to kind of be supportive, and she was like, I go on the phone with someone from Australia. I didn't know you had clients in Australia. <laughs> but the cool thing about the teleconference is nobody has to travel. I can do the exact same thing, and then and then nobody gets to, you know. Yeah, well, I think, though, when you were talking about your classes, the first thing I got was, um, yes, you're going to start teaching them more often, and it was right around the corner. And then, too, yeah. I pictured almost like a web video conference where you're yeah. actually seeing people and that virtual accessibility made it a lot more, um, you know, in tune and stuff. Yeah. And I think that to your point, like people that need to be in person, but then you can always use that as like a follow-up, right? Everybody's so different. Psychic abilities. So, so sometimes people will ask me, oh, do you use a pendulum? Do you use crystal balls? Do you use tarot cards? Do you use the seven? And the answer for me is no. And it doesn't mean that those other things aren't valid. What my experience is, a lot of those things are focus tools. Mm -hmm. And for me, I find that they're distracting. 
So same thing when people do readings with me, if they're calling me from other countries, I usually do Skype, but I don't do the video on the Skype because it distracts me from the reading. And it's not that I don't want to see people or would love to see their, their uh, faces. It's just that I find it distracting. So the vo just hearing their voices is better for me to tap in. But when, you know, when I first was psychic and I was started going to events, which was a few years after I was into it, I, that's when I started to realize, oh my goodness, there's so many different ways of being psychic. Just like there's so many different ways of doing art and so many different types of sports. And just because someone's good at one thing doesn't mean they're good at another thing. So, you know, I've had psychics come up with me and say, well, I'm psychic and I don't see angels. So you're lying. You don't see angels. And I'm like thinking, well, if you're psychic, wouldn't you know that Lots of people don't see the same thing you see. I'm terrible at math. Yeah. And there's no way you can try and teach me and it's not going to change my yeah. brain pattern. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, everybody's so different. And, um, you know, some people are just really, really good at certain things. There's some people that are just excellent at communicating with animals. Some people that are really good at picking up on like plants and what kind of, you know, each plant, how will it grow best and what kind of, a, what, what does it need to be shade and light next to this kind of plant and which plants are medicinal or which plants are really nutritious or which plants you shouldn't eat or, I mean, you can look that all up in a book, but there's people who just intuitively know that stuff. I mean, you know, how did it become a book in the first place? Someone had to write all this down, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, it's exciting. Yeah. Before we break, I wanted to ask you, what is the number one thing you would like people to take away from our conversation today? What are you getting from the angels intuitively? Well, you know, when people listen to me, you know, they kind of fall into, into categories. There's sort of people that stumble upon me and are, are flabbergasted and just kind of like, what? You know, and then there are people who I'm speaking to because they're, they're future students and future clients. And those people almost always know, even if they don't know what in the world they're doing. I mean, I've had people call me and say, I just heard your name and I booked a session. I don't even actually know what you do. And I thought, well, that's interesting because I would never, <laughs> I would never book a session with a person I didn't even know what they did. <laughs> but um, but uh, I just find it it's funny and fun, and a lot of times it's the the f most fun part of all this is the adventure of it. If people can look at it as just op in an open-minded way, as sort of an adventurous thing, and if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. And you know, I'm not in the sport. I don't care about sports. I don't like to go watch sports. This doesn't light my fire. It's not my thing. I totally get that other people are into it, and I think that's great. And if this is not your thing, then that's okay. It's just not your thing. And that's all right. Go enjoy whatever it is that you enjoy. And, you know, I don't know, honestly, if I hadn't become psychic suddenly, I don't, don't think I would have ever looked into this or, you know, or thought about it or felt about it or anything, you know, and now it's just so much a part of my life that I can't imagine not having it or not using it or whatever. And I, and I so enjoy um, helping other people embrace their abilities and, and, you know, and go to the next level, whatever that next level is. It's just a huge adventure and it, it's fun and hopefully it can be fun. If, if, however, someone is experiencing things that are not fun and they're creeped out or scared, what I would remind them is that everyone has holy guardian angels and all you have to do is ask them to help you. So if something is frightening you, Ask for it to be removed, even if it's as simple as a freaking fairy and it's not going to cause you any problems. 
if it scares you or bothers you, ask for it to be removed. You know, if you're having visitations from deceased loved ones and they don't mean you any harm, they just really just want to come into your space and love on you, you know, from the other side and share that they've moved over and they're fine. If it scares you, ask your ask God by whatever name you call the divine and your holy guardian angels by whatever name you call angels. Ask them to remove these things from your life and your space and they will do it. Well, what I know you don't consider it a gift. I consider it an ability and a gift and the gift being what you give to other people through your work. So I just wanted to say thank you again for joining us and sharing your story. And I would definitely love to have you back on to talk about some of these other things. It's been fantastic. And if you are interested in learning more about Ellen, please check out her website at ellenmalloy.com. That's E-L-L-E-N. M-A-H-L-O-Y.com. And thanks again, Ellen, and we'll talk soon. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Recapping this episode of A Psychic Story. One, the vast majority of people have at least one, if not two, psychic abilities. Two, there's no better way to develop your psychic abilities than to actually practice with it. Reading about it is not enough. Tap a teacher who has a similar style as yours. Three, every person has holy guardian angels. If you are bothered, stressed, or scared, ask your angels to assist. They are constantly by your side. Four, disclaimer, you are not in control of what abilities you have or will get. If you decide to open that aspect of yourself, it is unique to you. And remember, you can't unring that bell. And five, there are so many ways at approaching the metaphysical. No two people are alike, and we all have unique abilities. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at apsychicstory.com.